along strolling comes Albert Einstein. I'm not kidding. And he asked my mother uh, if I could go for a walk with him around the block. The equation E is equal mc squared, in which energy is part equal to mass multiplied with the square of the velocity of light, showed that very small amount of mass may be converted into a very large amount of energy. I remember a, a shock of white hair that predated Don King by uh, half a century, a twinkle in his eyes, a sweatshirt, no logo, and I think he was wearing sneakers, actually. <laughs> and uh, But what I do remember is there was a smell about him. In in your youth, you remember odors, and this, this was a distinct smell. Someday, in my travels through life, I'll walk up to somebody and say, Hey, man, you smell like Albert Einstein. Kurt Vonnegut said it best. He said, history is a list of surprises. Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, that they knew they were brilliant. You saw thousands of people along the rail line just standing there to say goodbye to Bobby Kennedy. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I remember it so well where, you know, I was like, hello, uh, Susie, hi, it's LD. I was like, oh, hi, Lyle, what's up? I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, you either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. Welcome to Great Minds. Today we have a surprising great mind, Wavy Gravy. I remember years ago reading Keith Richards' biography, Life. In the book, Keith said, and the surprising thing is, I remember it all. Well, the same can be said for Wavy Gravy. He also remembers it all, going all the way back to the village in the 60s, to his early experience out west, where his manager was none other than Lenny Bruce, where he became a legendary figure as master of ceremonies at Woodstock, and so much more. He's also the only person I've ever met who has his own flavor named after him by Ben & Jerry's, wavy gravy. Yes, he's not just an ice cream. He's a man and an incredible man at that, who's generous, has kindness of spirit, and has helped better the lives of millions all over the world through his charitable work. Enjoy this wavy gravy. So I began to read my poetry around uh, New York City and the little coffee houses and ended up at the gaslight where I never left. And so the gaslight was, I think, 116 McDougal. Hey, how'd you know that? There you go. Well, well, Wavy, I used to live at 114 McDougal. So I was literally the next door. Different era, a little later. Oh. Kettle of fish and Cafe Wah. 
That block on McDougal, that was a magic time when you were there in the late 50s and early 60s. Tell us about that period. God, yes, it was, it was an amazing time. He was born in Duluth, but his family lived up in a little mining town. He said he ran away from home 17 times and got brought back 16 at any rate, I don't think anybody needs to talk for him if Bob Dylan is within hearing distance. I hope he comes forward. Where is it? Bob, you are sitting back there. This is called Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. Please play a song for me. You know, the poetry uh, eventually segued uh, into... Uh, the uh, folk music revival. I, I ran the poetry uh, readings and and uh, and the uh, entertainment when at the Gaslight uh, with a guy named John Brent, who was a great genius. And uh, that was where you first met Bob Dylan. And I didn't Lenny Bruce also enter your life around that period? Uh, somehow. Yeah, uh, he was at the Vanguard, and I went to see him, and I just revered him. And uh, There were kids, eight and nine years old, that were sniffing airplane glue to get high on. <laughs> These kids are responsible for turning musicians on a lot of things they never knew about, actually. So I had a fantasy, how it happened. Kid is alone in his room, it's Saturday. Kid is played by George McCready. Well, let's see now. I'm all alone in the room, and it's Saturday. I'll make an airplane. That's what I'll do. I'll make a land cast, a good structural design. I'll get the balls wood here, cut it out, sand it off. Now a little airplane glue. I'll rub it on the rag, and, uh... Here now. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm getting loaded. Is this possible loaded on airplane glue? Maybe it's stuffy, you know. I'll call my dog over. Philica? Philica, come here, darling, and smell this rag. Smell it, you freaky little doggy. <laughs> Smell the rag, Flicka. Flicka. Flicka! I was in, in awe of him. I had segued from poetry to doing stand-up. And, uh, of course, Lenny was the ultimate stand-up. No, nobody was even close to what he could do. Lenny was going to be my manager. <laughs> And uh, then the the uh, he got busted at this hobby store in in L.A. with a matchbook full of smack and uh, and around that time also you uh, met Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters and became part of the Merry Pranksters. How did that first happen? All you can do is experience this thing. Ken really believed that things could be changed. He saw himself as a kind of liberator. People didn't think we were hippies or that we were drug freaks because it wasn't in the news yet. The public always grinned when they saw that bus. We are the Merry Band of Pranksters. Yeah, I admit uh, my wife. Uh, who was uh, running a, a restaurant on uh, Hollywood Boulevard 
no, Sunset Boulevard. It was called the Fred C. Dobbs after Humphrey Bogart and the treasure of Sierra Madre says, nobody ever put anything over on Fred C. Dobbs. And I just went in and she was like a goddess at the grill and put peanuts in my hamburger and I fell in love and uh, they wanted us to come uh, join them with the, uh, for a uh, a photo shoot uh, with Life magazine that we're doing a big article on Psychedelica and they wanted to shoot the bus and so uh, we joined the bus at this gas station in, in uh, LA and uh, <laughs> uh, while we were posing for the picture uh, for Life magazine, uh, Ken Babb stole the bus to join Keith. He was on Lamb in Mexico, leaving uh, my wife and I with 35 house guests. And uh, my landlord, we were living in a one bedroom cabin, came by and said, You cannot have uh, 36 people living in one bedroom. <laughs> you are evicted. And in the land of King's Kitchen Synchronicity, this guy, a neighbor, came by Bud Pelz, who said, Oh, Saul up on the mountain had a stroke. They need somebody to slop them hogs. And so uh, we were given a mountaintop uh, rent-free if we would take care of 40 hogs the size of uh, Davenport's. My God, they were enormous. And uh, he would bring up uh, uh, garbage that we would feed the pigs from restaurants in the valley. And so uh, more and more people joined us on that free mountaintop. And uh, we had a, a cluster of houses there. And it we became uh, the hog farm. Seems like it was almost yesterday. Why well, was that yesterday? <laughs> we got around and said, these crazy guys were living on this mountain. Trying to figure out a whole other way of doing it. And they didn't know what it was. I mean, what are we doing up here? Trying to figure out what we Christmas morning, um, the mechanics in the uh, expanded family that was being created uh, bought a bus, which we uh, immediately started to paint uh, psychedelically, and that became the Roadhog. And uh, we uh, did a we're extras in a movie called Skidoo, uh, Otto Preminger film. Groucho Marx played God. And uh, John Philip Law was the ingenue on the uh, movie and got us the job as extras. We got a, uh, a call from this guy named Stan Goldstein. And, well, first of all, we were in New York uh, with the pig and all. 
Hi there. Uh, my name is Hugh Romney, and I'm going through a series of changes in this fur room at the Electric Circus uh, store. Uh, what is essentially on the front of my brain is this uh, hog farm poster, which uh, we're going to be moving all around the country, we being uh, a commune. Stanley Goldstein suggested that we look to this, <laughs> this commune called the hog farm and that we should bring as many of these folks to the festival as we can and have them handle our security. So he went and met with a fellow named Hugh Romney, also known as Wavy Gravy. We've been driving around the country putting on these shows. We had a certain skill with working with large crowds. We were happening. Sitting around this large... Uh kitchen table and this guy comes in and says uh how do you guys uh like to do this music festival in new york state and we said well we're gonna be in uh new mexico for the summer solstice and we promised people we'd be there and all and he said well that's all right we'll fly you in in an astrojet and we figured he was uh two tokes over the line and thought nothing of it till we were in Pazuki uh, Reservation high above Santa Fe and the guy shows up uh, with a, one of those fancy rock and roll aluminum uh, attache cases in it, filled with the paper. Indeed, uh, we did have an American Airlines Astrojet that flew us uh, to uh, Kennedy Airport, and we agreed to do fire trails and uh, a free kitchen at this uh, music event. They actually uh, I fell off the airplane, and there was the world press with click uh, lights blazing and cameras and reporters, and uh, we're going to Woodstock. They said, uh, well, they made you, uh, you guys are the security. I said, my God, they made us the cops. I said, well, <laughs> I said to this reporter, do you feel secure? He said, yeah. I said, see, it's working. What is the hog farm going to be doing in Woodstock? Well, uh, the hog farm is a many-sided, uh, multi, uh, we're uh, kind of a family, a huge expanded family. And we could do any number of things, because each one of us is going to do a different thing. But mostly we're just going to try and be groovy and uh, spread that grooviness through everybody. Well, the hog farm has been hassled by security people, and they're calling you security people. So how do you feel about the, you know, the name? Well, I feel secure. I don't know what security people means. I never was called a security person before. In fact, you're the first person that's ever called me that. How do you feel? <laughs> well, I feel... Do you feel secure? <laughs> I had no idea. Well, we formed the police force, which was the security, and uh, the password was I forgot. And uh, <laughs> they, they wanted to know how many armbands we needed for the security. And Ken Babs from the pranksters says, well, how many people are you expecting? He said there could be 100,000. He said, well, That'll be, let's have 100,000 armbands. And they painted 
so we settled on a couple hundred, but we made up a lot more. They were red with a, a flying pig uh, imprinted on the red uh, cloth. And whenever we went out into the crowd, we always had a pocket full of armbands. And if we saw somebody act responsible, we'd give them a, a bunch of armbands and said, if you see somebody acting responsible, uh, deputize them. And you ended up on stage at Woodstock as the master of ceremonies. I think my, my moment of truth was when I said, good morning. What we have in mind is breakfast in bed. What we have in mind is breakfast in bed for 400000 That was picked by Entertainment Weekly recently as one of the top entertainment lines of the 20th century. Now, it's not going to be steak and eggs or anything, but it's going to be good food, and we're going to get it to you. It's not just the hog farm, either. It's like the Ohio Mountain family and the pranksters and everybody else that has volunteered and put in their time into the free kitchens. In fact, it's everybody. We're all feeding each other. We must be in heaven, man. There is always a little bit of heaven in a disaster area. So if you want to make it back to your campsites, we'll try and get the food to you. Or if you're staying here, we'll try and get the food to you. Now, there's a guy up there, some hamburger guy, that had his stand burned down last night. But he's still got a little stuff left. And for you people that still believe that, you know, capitalism isn't that weird, you might help him out and buy a couple of hamburgers. Okay. Okay, here it comes. Mess call. I'm not making this up. This is true business. And it just fell out of my head. I didn't, you know, it wasn't something I wrote down or anything. It just uh, popped out when we uh, announced the granola to, to hippies and announced the existence of a free kitchen they could walk to and, and get food. But, uh, <laughs> we brought granola to people enmeshed in mud in the front of the stage in Dixie Cups, and people looked at it and they said, what is this granola? It's gravel. Is this gravel? And they tried it, and they liked it, and the granola manufacturers of the world owe us an enormous debt introducing granola to hippies. <laughs> You're the only person, Wavy, who was at, uh, obviously, the Woodstock in 69, the other two as well, the subsequent anniversary editions. Looking back at your career and what you did with the kitchen and what you did to take care of people at Woodstock, there's a narrative of your life uh, where about doing good for people. And that seems to be very hardwired into who you are. Well, it's, it's something to do, putting your... Uh, the, there is a line that I got from Ken Kesey. I remember when Kesey passed, uh, there were all these uh, uh, 
TV, uh, uh, trucks outside of the house, and I knew that somebody had passed in, in from my team, and it turned out it was Ken, and they wanted to know, uh, you know, what message I got from Ken, and they thought it would be some psychedelic thing, but he actually introduced me to my family values, like honor your father and mother and that kind of stuff. And I ended up uh, calling my parents. They were stunned. (laughs) I just wanted to call them up and say hello, and Keezy got me to do that. And he also said, and this this is what I'm leading up to, he said, uh, always put your good where they'll do the most. And that has been kind of like my anthem through my life. Fabulous. And I guess the folks at the Texas International Pop Festival heard about what you and the hog farm had done at Woodstock and invited you to Texas. Is that true? This was amazing. Uh, we had returned to our little uh, farm in New Mexico and to discover that uh, there was an influx of hippies that were coming to join us and live with us forever. And, oh, my God, and, but there were also these giant buses to take us to Texas. They were having a rock festival, and there was a rodeo, and there was a, some uh, friction between the rednecks and the hippies, and you showed the world at Woodstock that you could please yourself. Please come and uh, do it for us. And so we jumped on these buses and uh, headed to Texas. And on the way, somebody thrust a Time magazine into the bus, and we read the editorial about Woodstock and really moved our hearts and minds. We had no idea the impact that we had on this event and this event had on the world. So we went to Texas, and uh, first thing I did was go visit the rodeo clowns and uh, explained our dilemma that the, the these rednecks were coming and beating up the hippies. And so they said, we'll take care of that. So we went back with the rodeo clowns and the, the, the bull riders and all these cool guys from the, from the rodeo. And they uh, just gave us cachet to be there and swept the the people, their adversaries away and made it all golden for us. And we went and set up uh, a free stage at Lake Dallas, this giant lake. And uh, I was laying on the floor of the free stage and it was, uh, let's hear it for conger drummer number seven or something like that. Oh God. And I'm laying there. And um, the announcement comes, B.B. King is here with his bus. He's going to play for free. 
And could we clear the stage? And I'm getting up real slow, and I feel this hand on my shoulder, and I look up, and there's B.B. King. He looks down at me, and I don't know where he got it from, but he looks down at me and says, you wavy gravy. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, wavy gravy, I can work around you. And he leaned me up against his amplifier, took out his guitar named Lucille, and from out of the wings came Johnny Winter, and they played together, and it was black, and it was white, and it was blues. And the tiny tip of Texas went to heaven. And that's the truth. And I kept that name. I was teaching improvisation to a bunch of uh, neurologically handicapped children at Cal State. And the classes were filmed and taped by these professors who came in after my class of debuting the name Wavy Gravy. They said, keep that name, you saved a week's orientation. So I I stuck with it all these days. And and I know you've had all kinds of problems and severe problems with your back and multiple surgeries. And I guess yeah, I got beat up by the police and the National Guard a lot of times at uh, demonstrations until I turned into a clown, and then I discovered the police didn't want to hit me anymore. So you literally dressed as a clown to avoid getting beat up by the police. Well, I, I, it was in a side effect. Yeah, side effect. Interesting. And you became the official clown of the Grateful Dead. How did you meet up with the dead and Jerry? Did that go back to Woodstock before that? No, no. Way before that, back to the uh, acid test days, the... Uh, the Dead were the uh, the band for the, the acid test extravaganza. And very few people who are listening really understand what that was. And what can you tell us that you remember of the acid test era? There's not many people around who still can talk about that. We knew a lot of the people at Kesey scene because it was all part of the Palo Alto scene, which we were part of. And they knew of us. The one guy named Paige, who was one of the pranksters, came to one of our uh, late-night sets at one of the bars we were playing at. He said, hey, you guys, we're, we're having these parties up at Keezy's place in La Honda every Saturday night. Why don't you guys come? And we said, well, we're working all the time. Luckily, the following week, we got fired, and we had nothing to do. So Saturday night came around. We went to the first one of those parties which later became the acid test. And what, what did you do there? I mean, it was just experimenting? No, well, we just got, we yeah. set up the equipment, you yeah. know. Everybody got high. And stuff would happen. Now, Keezy and his pranksters have been doing this for a long time. They had instruments, they played weird music. But mostly it was completely free. There was no real performance of any kind involved. Everybody there was as much performer as audience, you know. And that was the eve that LSD became illegal. And uh, 
we got these galvanized uh, garbage cans full of Kool-Aid. And I kept giving instructions to the audience. Now, pay attention. The Kool-Aid on the right is for the kids. The Kool-Aid on the left is the electric Kool-Aid. Nudge, nudge, you know what I mean? And so I'd be, uh, you know, advertising this, but people would come off from dancing to the Grateful Dead for uh, two or three hours, and they would just hit the Kool-Aid for something wet because they were thirsty and uh, just gobbling it up at uh, maybe uh, 200 micrograms of swallow until everybody started melting down. And uh, we had all these microphones all over the place, and there was one microphone, this girl started screaming, who cares? Who cares? LSD, run, run, who cares? And uh, I crawled to a microphone, and I said, well, I care, and uh, I if anybody else cares, let's find this girl and see if we can glue her back together again. So I crawled off looking for her, and about 10, 15 minutes later, I found her in this little side room. There were about 11 or 12 of us, and uh, we made a circle around her and beamed love into her and she stopped screaming, who cares, and turned into jewels and light. And we turned into jewels and light. And that's when I passed the acid test. When you get to the very bottom of the human soul and the knit is hitting the grit and you're sinking, but you reach down to help somebody else who is in worse shape than you are. That's when everybody gets high, and you don't even need LSD to do that. And that's when I passed the acid test. I know that a lot of your uh, battles with the police were around protests, and you were particularly active around the Vietnam War. What can you tell us about that period? Oh, my goodness. Well, I got beat up a lot, but... <laughs> Uh, I remember going, this, this is a really good story, uh, uh, to the uh, Republican convention at the Kempner Arena in Kansas City, and we bought up every red rubber nose in Kansas and put noses on the, uh, under the counterculture that was totally surrounding the Kempner Arena, so we gave them all clowns so the police could not uh, club the clowns on color TV. And uh, I was given a press pass to the World Press Booth by this reporter who had to go somewhere else far, far away. So I uh, changed into a suit and tie, usually reserved for Halloween, and uh, went into the World Press Booth uh, with credentials and began typing up press releases for nobody for president, which was our candidate at that time. Let's hear it for nobody. Nobody for president. Come on, let me hear you. Because nobody's been with us a long time. 
As I explained to the uh, Native Americans, I empathize with their cause, but nobody was here first. <laughs> in fact, I know nobody keeps all campaign promises. In fact, I even know uh, nobody uh, is in Washington right now working for me. And for the rallies with nobody, we would use these wind up clicking teeth for the speeches. And now nobody will speak click, 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 click. It's hilarious. And uh, all these TV guys that push uh, and shove to get better shots of the clicking teeth of nobody speaking. <laughs> so uh, I was typing up press releases for nobody when I was grabbed. Uh, well, I was spotted by this plainclothes Kansas City cop who called the FBI and the Secret Service, who uh, threw me into a Lenny Bruce curtain call up against the wall, and they're patting me down. And this cop feels this bulge in my pocket. He said, a gun? And he whipped it out, and it's the teeth. <laughs> the teeth started clicking in his hand. I said, quiet, our leader is speaking. <laughs> he rolled his eyes, gave me back the teeth, and said, get out of here. You're too weird to arrest. So that became my anthem, <laughs> too weird to arrest. And, Wavy, you've been incredibly involved in charities. And uh, I think it was 1978 when you co-founded the SIVA Foundation. And uh, famous for all kinds of benefit concerts with Acts like the Dead and Jackson Brown and David Crosby, Graham Nash, Elvis Costello, so many more. Tell us about the SIVA Foundation and all the wonderful work that it does. Well, uh, it was some pretty astounding uh, situation. Uh, uh, we uh, gathered uh, a bunch of uh, folks who... Uh, worked in uh, the smallpox eradication in India. My best friend, Larry Brilliant, is on CNN now, uh, uh, frequently talking about the uh, pandemic because he's, that was his uh, thing. He helped to uh, eradicate smallpox in India and now is working with this virus. But Brilliant became friends with some of the era's iconic figures. They included the Woodstock MC, who became famous in clown costume as Wavy Gravy. I am so, I am so honored to be here. I'm Tom. At 80, Wavy Gravy has slowed only physically. The friends still gather often and recount their adventures, including a journey across Europe toward India, they had planned to feed flood victims in what was then East Pakistan. So the team that we put together with the SEVA, oh yes, we're gathered in Heartlands, Michigan, Ram Dass and Larry Brilliant, and uh, we happened to be there because we were also in Larry's Rolodex. And so uh, this amazing woman, amazing woman named Nicole Grasset, who... Uh, headed up uh, the, uh, a lot of the eradication of smallpox in India and was Larry's boss. And Nicole said, well, we must do something about this blindness because uh, 
80% of the people that are blind don't need to be blind and can get their sight back with a simple cataract surgery. And so we started in Nepal doing that. And uh, it was, oh, God, I was said, they said, okay, it's your job to get the Grateful Dead to uh, to do a, a benefit concert for this new organization which was called seva, which is a Sanskrit word that means service to humankind. And so uh, I went to the airport in Detroit. He got on the plane. Who was on the plane with the Grateful Dad? I couldn't believe it. They didn't have parachutes. I started in on the drummers, uh, Mickey Hart and Billy Kreutzmann, and got them to go for it. And Jerry was a pushover. His line is always, well, might as well. <laughs> and that was it. And uh, <laughs> we did the show, and uh, Bill Graham was in a rage. He said, he didn't know it was a benefit. Why am I the last to find out these things? God damn it. <laughs> but I'm, uh, while the band is playing, I'm backstage with Steve Parrish, Garcia's roadie, and we're uh, getting delightfully altered, and Bill shows up and hands me this piece of paper. It's a note, and I open it up, and it's a check for $10,000 for Sava. I said, Bill, why are you doing this? He says, because you did not hit on me, my friend. <laughs> Eight million people. Eight million people have received cataract surgery and not bumping into shit. <laughs> Eight million people and, and counting because we, we're still doing these shows. But not, now we can't, of course, because of the pandemic. But, but yeah, it's a beat. It definitely will go on when this thing is over. Fantastic. And you also started another wonderful organization, Camp Winter Rainbow, which you co-founded with your That's wife. the other thing I've given my life to, and I've not only started it, uh, uh, my wife and I were the co-founders, and uh, it's a circus and performing arts camp uh, for kids uh, 7 to 14 and they learn juggling and tightrope and trapeze and unicycle and tall stills. I love uh, timing and balance, which is something they really are going to use in their later life. I call it survival in the 21st century, uh, a duck with a sense of humor and a big dollop of compassion. And so... People have always asked me, Wavy Gravy, what is your greatest legacy? And of course, they expect me to say Seva. And I say, no, it's Camp Winter Rainbow. Because these kids, these kids with that dollop of compassion are going to go out and save the world. I'm convinced of it. And we've been doing it for half a century now. And we do it 150 kids at a time. We do the circle of 17 teepees. And they learn all these skills, and then they go out into the world and change it. 
Well, Wavy, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wonderful stories with us. And it's beyond inspirational. And uh, if they ever make a Mount Rushmore for people who have been trying to help, trying to help make the world better, you're going to be on that mountain. I get stoned. There you go. There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, you take care of yourself and stay healthy. You betcha. And you too. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit AdvertisingWeek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.